Welcome to everyone who's had a chance to tune in to this 24th episode of Risale Roundtable podcast. This discussion will be based, uh, inshallah, on the third flash from Bediuzzaman Said Nursi's Flashes collection. Now, this third flash uh, is going to be based on um, the very last verse of Surah Al Khasas, which uh, goes as follows Bismillah Rahman Rahim, Kullu Shayin Halikun Illa Wajaha, Lahul Hukmu Wa Ilayhi Turja'un. Which is rendered here in English as In the name of Allah, the merciful, the compassionate Everything shall perish save his countenance His is the command and to him shall you return So his countenance is sometimes translated uh, alternatively as His face or just he himself Okay, so everything shall perish except for Allah His is the command and to him shall you return But Duzuman's going to provide a tafsir of that verse um, in this third flash based on a discussion of a related invocation, a related dua, um, which is Ya Baqi Antal Baqi O the Enduring One, you are the Enduring One. Um, now that phrase uh, in that invocation, that phrase is repeated twice. So, Bediuzzaman sees a significance in its being repeated twice um, in that invocation. Um, and he sees it as very much expressing the meaning of uh, the um, verse that uh, I just recited. So, I'm just going to read in a moment only the first two points out of three points in this third flash. I'm just going to read the first two. Uh, but I do encourage uh, listeners to go ahead and... Uh, read further and you know um, read the entirety of this third flash it's not too long um, there's, there's just one more uh, point a third point uh, that we won't um, have time to cover um, what uh, in general Bediman is going to uh, try to impart here in this third flash is that given Allah's being Baqi, Okay, he's being the enduring one, so he's being eternal in a particular sense, um, and he's being eternal um, uh, just in general, like he's being uh, eternal in the very absolute and perfected sense that he is. Um, how this means that really the only being that is truly worthy of our love is he, okay, um, that it is a mistake to. Um, love beings that are unlike him, that are not like him, eternal. Okay. Um, so in general, that's what um, this discussion will be based on. Uh, I'm going to go straight ahead now and commence with this third flash. Um, I'm going to read the preamble and uh, just the first two points again. And he commences this third flash with just a brief note. He says... Emotion and spiritual pleasure have become mixed in this flash to an extent. And since their exuberance does not much heed the principles of the intellect and the scales of thought, nor conform to them, it should not be weighed up on the scales of logic. So what I take Baduzaman to be saying here is that, um, just in this initial note, um, is not so much that what he's about to say is uh, entirely irrational. No, he's certainly not saying that. Um, what he is saying is that not every claim that he makes um, will be supported here rationally. Not at least not in this part of the Risali Nur. Um, you know, for a fuller argument, uh, you know, a fuller rational proof of you know everything that he says in this third flash. Um, one does need to look more widely in the Risali Inur, you know, because he's already provided those um, arguments and proofs elsewhere. Um, yeah, he does not um, uh, provide them again here. 
Um, so, and to that extent, uh, he says that emotional and spir spiritual pleasure have become mixed in this flesh, right? um, and therefore that um, this flesh uh, should not, in its entirety at least, uh, be weighed on uh, the scales of logic. Okay. Okay, and he commences then with that verse. So, Bismillah rahman rahim Kullu shay'in halikun illa wajaha lahu al-hukmu wa ilayhi turja'un In the name of Allah, the merciful, the compassionate, everything shall perish save his countenance. His is the command, and to him shall you return. The two phrases, Ya baqi anta al-baqi O enduring one, you are the enduring one. O enduring one, you are the enduring one. So, Ya Baqi Antal Baqi, Ya Baqi Antal Baqi. Okay, it's repeated twice. Express the meaning of the above verse. And so to state two important truths. It is because of this that some of the chiefs of the Naqshabandi order made themselves a special invocation with the repetition of the phrases in the form of a concise Naqshi supplication or dua. Seeing that the two phrases express the meaning of the above mighty verse, we shall explain several points concerning the significant truth they state. First point. The first time Ya Baqi and Tal Baqi is recited, like a surgical operation, it severs and isolates the heart, the qalb, from everything other than Allah. So it, it severs and isolates the heart from Masiva in the original Ottoman Turkish. Okay, everything other than Allah. It is as follows. In respect of the comprehensiveness of his nature, man is connected with almost all beings. And in addition, a boundless capacity to love has been included in his nature. For, the, for these reasons... Man nurtures love towards all beings, as he loves the huge world as though it was a house, so too he loves eternal paradise as though it were a garden. However, the beings he loves do not stop, they depart, and he constantly suffers the pain of separation. That boundless love of his becomes the means of endless, of boundless torment. The fault in suffering such torment is his. For the heart's infinite capacity to love was given so that he might direct it toward one possessing an infinite undying beauty. By misusing it and spending it on transitory beings... He has done wrong and suffers the punishment for his fault due to, due to the pain of separation. Thus, the first time he utters, Ya Baqi and Tal Baqi, O enduring one, you are the enduring one, it severs his attachment to transitory beings. He leaves those objects of love before they leave him, and he is thus cleared of his fault. It declares that love is restricted to the enduring beloved, to Allah, and expresses this meaning. The only truly enduring one is you. Everything other than you is transient. Other, sorry, one that is transient certainly cannot be the object of attachment for my heart which was created for everlasting love, for ardua lasting from pre-eternity to post-eternity, so from ezel to ebed. Since those innumerable beloveds are transitory and they leave me in the parts before they do so, declaring, Ya Baqi and Tal Baqi, O Enduring One, You are the Enduring One, I shall leave them. Only you are immortal, and I know and believe that beings can only be immortal by your making them so. In which case, 
they should be loved with your love. They are not otherwise worthy of the heart's attachment. When in this state, man's heart gives up innumerable objects of love. Seeing the stamp of transitoriness on their beauty and loveliness, it severs its attachment to them. If it does not sever it, it suffers wounds to the number of its beloveds. The second Ya Baqi and Baqi is both a salve and an antidote for those wounds. That is, O enduring one, Ya Baqi, since you are enduring, that is sufficient. You take the place of everything. Since you exist, everything exists. Yes. The beauty, bounty and perfection in beings, which are the cause of love, are generally signs, so generally here in the uh, um, original Ottoman Turkish is going to be umumi, okay, so which rather means without exception, you know, the, the problem being that the term generally, in, uh, you know, in uh, modern usage often uh, does allow for exception, whereas uh, I, I don't think that that's what Bedouzaman's trying to express here. Um, by generally, he rather means, yeah, you know, in every case. Okay. So, in every case, uh, so I'll, I'll read that again um, uh, in that way. Yes, the beauty, bounty, and perfection in beings, which are the cause of love, are, without exception, or in all cases, signs of the truly enduring one's beauty and bounty and perfections. And passing through many veils are pale shadows of them. Indeed, they are the shadows of the shadows of the manifestations of his most beautiful names. His Asmar Husna. Okay, that's the end of the first point. Uh, I've got another page here, the second point. Included in human nature is an intense love of immortality. Even because of the power of imagination, Man fancies a sort of immortality in everything he loves. Whenever he thinks of or sees their passing, he cries out from the depths of his being. All lamentations at separation are interpretations of the weeping resulting from love of immortality. If there were no imagined immortality, there would be no love. Okay, so in the original Turkish uh, Ottoman, um, no imagined immortality is tevhumubeka. Right, It's to imagine something to be uh, immortal, even though it isn't. Okay, so Bedouzaman saying here, uh, if we did not do that, if we didn't imagine to be immortal, certain things that really aren't immortal then there would be no love. Okay, we wouldn't be, really be able to love those things. The only way that we do manage to love them is by imagining in them this uh, um, uh, false immortality. It might even be said that a reason for the existence of the eternal realm and everlasting Jannah, paradise, is the intense desire for immortality arising from that passionate love of immortality and from the innate and umumi, general, prayer for immortality. The enduring one of glory accepted man's intense, unshakable, innate desire and his powerful, effective, general prayer, his umumi prayer, for he created for transient man an eternal realm. Is it at all possible that the munificent and compassionate Creator would accept the insignificant wish of a tiny stomach and its dua, its supplication, through the tongue of disposition, the lisanahal, for a temporary immortality through creating innumerable sorts of delicious foods, and then not accept the intense desire of all humankind, which arises from an overpowering innate need, and mankind's universal, constant, rightful, just prayer for immortality, 
offered through word and state or harm. Hasha, Allah forbid, a hundred thousand times. It is impossible that he would not accept it. Not to accept it would be in keeping with neither his wisdom, nor his justice, nor his mercy, nor his power. Since man is most desirous of immortality, all his perfections and pleasures are dependent on immortality. And since immortality is particular to the enduring one of glory, our words to Allah, and since the enduring one's names are enduring and immortal, and since the enduring one's mirrors take on the hue of the enduring one and reflect his decree and manifest the sort of immortality, for sure the matter most important for man, his most pressing duty, is to form a relation with that enduring one and to adhere to his names. For everything expended on the way of the enduring one receives the sort of immortality. Thus, the second, Ya Baqi and Baqi, O enduring one, you are the enduring one, expresses this truth. In addition to healing man's innumerable spiritual wounds, it satisfies the intense wish for immortality inherent in his nature. I'm going to um, cease our readings there. Now, I'll come back and say a few words uh, momentarily about what Bezuman has expressed there in those first and second points of his third flash. But before doing so, I think that it will be useful to uh, have a short discussion on the various senses in which Allah is uh, an eternal being. Okay, so uh, Allah's eternality and the perfection or absoluteness of it. Uh, let's just say a few words about that. And we've already uh, seen in our readings that Allah is uh, Baqi, okay, which is to say that He is enduring or eternal or everlasting. Um, in a particular sense, uh, he's enduring in the sense that uh, he's Baqi, in the sense that he has the attribute of Bekar, um, which is often translated as being eternal without end or being post-eternal, um, and is also sometimes referred to as um, being Ebedi, okay, in the... Um, uh, Arabic and Turkish, uh, Ottoman Turkish, yeah, being ebedi, uh, post-eternal or eternal without end. So if we consider for, for what is from our perspective all of future time, okay, so all of the future events that have yet to transpire, and those include not just the events that uh, have yet to transpire in the dunya or this present realm, but also every event that will occur even in um, the akhirah. Okay, so consider all of that future time. Allah endures in a particular sense beyond all of that. Okay, um, he, in a sense, uh, circumscribes or exists beyond, or uh, maybe a better expression is to say that he transcends uh, all of that uh, future time. Uh, to that extent, Allah also has the name of Akhir, um, which is translated usually as the last. Um, again, that means that you know Allah transcends all of uh, future time, okay? Because to say that he is the last um, is to say that there is nothing subsequent to him in time, okay? So nothing is temporally posterior to him. Um, contrast that with we created beings. Um, there is always something that comes after us, okay? Um, none of us is the last created being. Um, and this is because of the fact that Allah is a being of infinite beauty, um, whose creative capacity is infinite, 
Okay, his beauty can be manifested in an infinite variety of different ways, uh, as I mentioned last week. Um, and for that reason, Allah creates on an ongoing basis. He wants to manifest his beauty. He has infinite beauty to manifest. So from the perspective of us temporal uh, or time-bound beings, at least, uh, Allah is creating on an ongoing basis. He creates continually into the future um, so that no particular being is the last. Okay, um, For every created being, there is some other being um, that is after it. Um, but for Allah, that is not the case um, because he is the creator um, and he's not himself created uh, because um, he transcends all, all the future time, as I mentioned. Uh, there is nothing that comes after him, temporally speaking. Um, things are posterior to him only in the logical or ontological sense, um, you know, which is to say that uh, things are dependent upon him uh, for their existence. Things are dependent upon him um, for their creation. He is the creator. They are the created. So they're posterior or after him only in that logical and ontological sense, um, but in the onto in the sorry in the temporal. Um, or time-based sense, nothing is after Allah. So therefore, it's correct to uh, you know refer to him as the last in that um, particular sense. Uh, but this is a very much a non-temporal sense, okay? Which I'll say more about shortly. Um, so just as Allah is um, baki, uh, you know, uh, the eternally enduring one everlasting one, just the enduring one, um, and just as he has the attribute of beka or post-eternality, uh, eternality without end, and just as he has the name of Akhir, so too, the converse of all of that, so too, Allah has the attribute of Qadam, um, or is Ezali, which is to say that he is also pre-eternal, or eternal without beginning. And the divine name that is relevant in this particular instance, um, where Allah is Qadam or Ezali, uh, pre-eternal or eternal without beginning, is the name of Qadim, uh, which is just the pre-eternal one, or the one who is eternal without beginning. Um, now, the flip side of the name of Akhir, the last, um, is in this instance, Awwal, the first. Um, so in respect of Allah's being uh, pre-eternal, uh, eternal without beginning, um, Allah is the first, meaning that he precedes everything. Um, he precedes all of um, the created beings that exist. Um, all of the changes that occur are in a, again, a non-temporal sense, uh, preceded by him. So he is... Uh, logically and ontologically prior to the start of all of past time. Um, meaning that the commencement of this time uh, is very much dependent upon him. Uh, you know, were it not for Allah uh, choosing to create things and then uh, creating the uh, motions or changes or interactions of those things, um, there would not be um, the commencement of time. Uh, to that extent, it's very much uh, ontologically and logically dependent upon him. Um, and in that sense, he's the first. He's a well. Um, now, once we see that Allah is um, a well and akhir, um, and that he's eternal without beginning and eternal without end, and um, in particular, once we understand that his um, being um, awwal and akhir is in a non-temporal sense, um, we see that, as I've already mentioned, Allah very much transcends time. Um, in the case of um, his attribute of beka, or his being abadi, um, we saw that Allah transcended all of what will for us be our future time. Uh, so from the perspective of us time-bound beings, uh, there's infinite future time. Allah transcends all of that. And so too, he transcends what is for us, again, temporally bound beings, 
all of pastime. Allah transcends all of that. So if Allah transcends all of past and future time, and to that extent he has no beginning and has no end, um, all of this very much puts Allah squarely outside of time. Um, so it's therefore said that Allah is Lazaman, He's a timeless being. Um, his eternality needs to be understood in that very absolute and perfected sense. Um, he is not eternal uh, in the sense of existing for uh, you know an infinite number of uh, moments in time, an infinite number of years or minutes or seconds or anything like that. Um, Allah is eternal in the sense of transcending all of time. All of time is dependent upon Him. He creates time when He creates um, uh, beings. So he creates things uh, apart from him. Um, uh, all the masiva, right? everything apart from Allah, is created by Allah. He creates the motions and changes, interactions of those things, and hence time comes about. Um, and that time is very much dependent upon him. However, he is in no sense dependent upon it. Uh, so this um, runs counter to what uh, certain Christian uh, philosophers uh, think. Um, some Christians see Allah, or um, in their terminology, uh, God, as uh, being um, timeless before he creates. So uh, logically prior to his creating, uh, you know, Allah is timeless, God is timeless, but once he creates, uh, they see no way out of um, saying that he must himself be in time. He must himself become a temporal being, a time-bound being, um, once he in fact creates uh, time. Uh, but on our view, on, on the Muslim view, um, that is not the case. So Allah very much transcends time uh, even once he creates. Um, he's both pre-eternal and post-eternal. He transcends uh, all of time. Okay, He's in no sense bound by time. He does not need to wait uh, for the future to see what will transpire, nor is the past uh, gone or lost uh, in his case. Uh, you know, which very much contrasts with the situation of us created beings. You know, for us, we very much live in the present moment. Uh, what is in the future for us is, very much doesn't exist. Uh, you know, we can't go to it. We can't bring the future forward. Um, now, not in normal circumstances anyway, you know, not without Allah's permission anyway. Um, the future for us is, in a, in a sense, not not as real as, um, certainly is not as, as accessible um, as the present moment. And same thing with the past. The past is gone. We can't go back to it. Um, you know, we can't get into a time machine, uh, yeah, and go back and, you know, uh, change our past to anything of that nature. Um, but for Allah, the being who transcends time, who is eternal in that very perfected, very absolute sense, uh, transcends all of time. is La Zaman. For him, uh, there is no uh, difference between, uh, in a sense, there is no uh, difference between the past, present and the future. For In this particular sense, for him, all of those um, times are equally accessible. Um, he can view them all at once. Um, so Bejizman describes this elsewhere. Um, so we need to understand Allah's eternality in that, you know, um, very maximal sense. You know, we don't want to um, think of Allah's eternality as being restricted in any way um, at all. And since we're talking about Allah's unrestrictedness and His absoluteness, um, indeed the perfection um, of His being and, you know, His existence, uh, you know his his eternality. We should also mention a couple of other um, divine names and attributes. Um, the first of these uh, uh, is the attribute of qiyam bin nafsihi. Um, so when we say that Allah exists and that He exists eternally, we should also bear in mind that 
this existence, this eternal existence that Allah has, is not due to or dependent upon uh, anyone or anything apart from himself. So his existence is due purely to him. Um, it's due only to him, which contrasts with uh, our situation. So um, uh, even though we might exist eternally into the future, right? us human beings, you know, naturally we uh, we have a beginning in time um, you know we're not um, past eternal uh, you know uh, we don't we're not um, beginningless uh, in the way that Allah is um, but through his power you know and indeed through his um, will and mercy and compassion uh, we will continue to exist uh, endlessly into the future um, so Although we exist endlessly into the future, we do so in a restricted sense. Um, we only do so thanks to Him. Okay, so our existing uh, endlessly or eternally into the future, in that sense, is wholly dependent upon Allah. But Allah's being eternal in the very perfected sense that He is, he is due to no one or no thing uh, other than Him Himself. Um, now. A final name that I'll mention is Allah's name of Wajibul Wujud, okay, the necessarily existent one. So to say that Allah exists necessarily uh, is to say that in no sense could he fail to exist, okay. Um, he is Wajibul Wujud. He, it's, his non-existence is just metaphysically impossible. Um, uh, and now that contrasts with our existence, right? So, you know, um, it's useful to try to understand Allah's um, necessary existence just by contrasting it with our contingent existence, okay? So it's easy to see that we created beings are contingent beings. Um, uh, now, to say that we're contingent beings is just to say this, that um, although we happen to exist, um, because we've been created by Allah. We happen to exist, but we did not have to exist. Okay, um, I would say nothing illogical or um, nothing metaphysically impossible or absurd if I was to suggest that I might not have existed. You know, had Allah chosen not to create um, me, this particular being here, then I would not have existed. Uh, just like you know, any number of uh, artifacts that are around me right now. Um, you know, I have in front of me my uh, mobile phone. Uh, yeah, sure, it does exist right here and now. Um, but had uh, something gone wrong at the factory, could well have occurred that this particular unit um, uh, did not get uh, created, did not get built. Um, Everything in the created realm is like that. Although it exists, it doesn't it didn't have to exist. Right? Allah could have chosen not to uh, create them. Could have in their place created different things. Let's say. Um, so to say that a being's existence is contingent is just to say that um, even if it even if it exists, it didn't have to exist. Okay. Um, now, Allah's existence is the very opposite of that. Okay. Allah exists and He could not have failed to exist. His non-existence is just metaphysically impossible. Um, now, that has got to be the case. I mean, we know that such a being must exist, as a matter of fact, um, because of the fact that we contingent beings exist. Now, the only way that um, we can explain how it is that we contingent beings exists is by pointing to the creative activity of some cause, some being that isn't itself contingent. Okay, there has to exist at least one uh, necessary being. Okay, one being that isn't himself or itself uh, contingent. Because if the being that created us was itself contingent then it couldn't explain its own existence and therefore couldn't explain its own abilities uh, or capacities or actions, um, which means that it wouldn't be able to explain how it manages to create us. So 
you know, couldn't therefore act as the proper explanation of, of our existence. Um, both we and it would need to be explained by something that isn't contingent. Okay? So that goes for all contingent beings. You know, every contingent being that exists in the universe in its own right points to the wajibul wujud okay um you know and then you know all the points of unity or commonality that we have you know point to the unity of this uh necessary or necessarily existing um cause of our existence so you know there's actually quite firm um you know inferential evidence that um such a being must exist, you know, otherwise why is it that there is a realm of uh, contingent beings, you know, um, and it's very simple to see that we're contingent beings. Um, it's easy to prove that we didn't have to exist because for every single one of us we can point to a time in the history of this universe where in fact we did not exist, okay? So just go back to, you know, the day before I was born and you'll see that I didn't exist so therefore, it's impossible to say that my existence is wajib or necessary, because if my existence was necessary, then I would have always existed. I wouldn't have had a beginning. I would have just always existed, because my non-existence would have been impossible. Um, so we've got to understand a less eternal um, existence also in that sense. Um, uh, his eternal because of the fact that his non-existence is impossible. So he's just always existed, and he's always had the attributes that he has. Okay. So if you've ever wondered why it is that um, you know, certain realities exist in the universe, for example, justice, or you know, beauty, or truth, or mercy, or compassion, any of these realities, right? anything that really has an existence, um, if you want to know why these things um, uh, are instantiated here in the universe, it's go—it's always going to be because um, Allah has the capacity to create those sorts of things. Allah has, because he has, for example, um, the attribute of power, um, there are manifestations of power here in the universe because Allah is necessarily um, a being of compassion, we see here in the universe that there are manifestations of compassion everywhere. You know, everywhere we see beings um, that are needy and can't meet their own needs, and yet somehow, uh, from unexpected places and in, and in wondrous and unexpected ways, their needs are always met. Um, you know, Bidizman describes this at length all throughout the Disalinud. Um, so, uh, you know, it's because. Allah necessarily, just as He necessarily exists, just as His non-existence is impossible, uh, so to all of the attributes and names that He has, He has them necessarily, in that He, that he could not have failed to have those attributes. Okay, um, He could not have... Uh, it's impossible to suggest that Allah could have perhaps failed to have power, or could have failed to be a just being. Um, or a truthful being, or a compassionate being. He's just always been the way he has been. Um, so, you know, Allah is wajibul wujud. Um, so in every case, you know, we need to understand Allah's existence and his names and attributes, you know, in the most maxim maximal way. You know, we, um, we need to see Allah as uh, a perfect being, you know, uh, if you conceive of Allah in any way as uh, you know a limited being, a non-absolute being, um, uh, you know, uh, an imperfect being, then immediately you know you're not thinking of Allah. Okay, you're imagining some other being. Okay, um, indeed, an imaginary being. Okay, so we've spoken for the last few minutes about, uh, you know, the perfection or absoluteness of Allah's eternality. Okay, you know, we've said that Allah isn't merely an eternal being, you know, because there are, you know, various um, uh, limited or imperfect or non-absolute ways in which, um, you know, beings might be eternal. Um, Allah isn't eternal in any of those sorts of ways, no uh, he's eternal in the most absolute or perfect uh, sense of uh, the term. Now, what's going to be important to take from all of this for present purposes, you know, for, 
for the purposes of understanding what Bedouzaman's um, describing or imparting here in the third flash, you know, is that Allah wants to make known to us His perfection. He wants to make known to us His beauty. Um, you know, as we've mentioned in many previous discussions, this is very much why Allah has um, uh, created. It's at least part of the reason why Allah has created. You know, um, He's created uh, both to manifest his beauty and perfection for his own purposes, you know, for his own discerning eye, for um, uh, his own joy, okay? He, as Bedouzaman puts it elsewhere in the Risali Nur, Allah um, has an infinite holy or a Qudsi joy um, from the knowledge of his own beauty and indeed the um, manifestation and observation uh, of his own beauty. Um, but he also wishes for there to exist other beings, you know, created beings that can also observe and experience and indeed reflect, uh, mirror uh, his beauty and perfection uh, to the extent that is possible for finite beings. Um, so given that he has created for this purpose, you know, which for our purposes, you know, uh, has got to be understood in terms of worship, you know, our coming to know Allah's beauty and perfection very much amounts to worship, okay? Um, you know, when we act righteously, you know, when we restrain ourselves out of um, an awareness or fear of Allah um, and engage in correct conduct, um, what we do, as I mentioned last week, is that we can reflect the beauty of Allah's names and attributes in the mirror of our own being. Okay, um, when we do this, we have an experiential knowledge. Um, you know, in other words, we know through doing. Okay, we know through living and experiencing um, the relevant aspects of Allah's beauty and perfection. Okay, for example, um, mentioned last week. You know, when I sincerely choose, you know, I freely and sincerely um, uh, choose to engage in an act of generosity, I thereby come to have an experience of the beauty of Allah's name of, um, let's say, Kareem or Rahman or Rahim and so on. Um, and when we do this, we very much worship. Okay. Um, so given that Allah's created us for worship in this sense so that we can come to uh, know his absolute uh, and perfect beauty, um, he's given us certain capacities. Okay, um, If we've been created to come to know his beauty, then it follows that Allah is going to give us the ability to um, know that beauty. Okay, for example, he's going to give us a qalb with which we can uh, love. Okay, and uh, in that sense, know Allah's beauty. Um, but since he is an eternal being, um, he creates us in a particular way. Okay, he creates this qalb, this heart of ours, and this capacity of ours for love in a particular way. He creates us in such a way that we are not satisfied with any transitory or temporary um, beloved, okay? Um, now, when you reflect upon it, you'll see that this is very much true, you know. Um, just imagine this, for example, okay? Think of any particular thing, or rather being, that you love, okay? Um, think, for example, of someone like a very close friend whom you love, or a spouse, or any such person, imagine this person comes to you one day and says, look friend, I'm only going to have a relationship of friendship with you until the 24th of June 2020, you know, so only for some finite time. Uh, subsequent to that time, I'm very much going to turn my back on you. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Uh, I'm in no way going to be your friend. You're not going to see me. Um, you're not going to be able to enjoy my company or um, my friendship in any way. Okay. Um, now, just ask yourself, would you be satisfied with a temporary uh, or transitory friendship of, of that kind? And I'd say it's highly unlikely that we would be. Um, and that just goes to the fact that 
um, we're averse to pain. Okay, when we uh, love persons or love things, and then we're separated from those things, when those relationships uh, cease, uh, we experience pain. Uh, we don't like that pain. Okay, so you know we never want our loving relationships to be temporary ones. Okay, um, now of course this isn't to say that you know we never do end up uh, loving things that uh, leave us, okay? Um, we do this all the time, um, but the main way that we tend to try to cope with this, um, uh, as Bedouzaman uh, highlights, you know, the main way that we cope with this is by imagining that uh, a relationship that we know to be uh, uh, transitory, you know, we imagine that it won't, in fact, be transitory, uh, in a sense, we bury our heads in the sand in respect of the transitoriness of that relationship, you know. Uh, like, think, for example, of the atheist. Um, you know, the atheist doesn't believe in in an afterlife or a resurrection or anything of that nature. Um and knows full well, therefore, you know, uh, by the lights of their own worldview, you know, they they uh, feel that they know full well that um, at some point they're going to be separated from everyone and everything that they love. Anything that's given them any pleasure uh, whatsoever uh, is just going to be um, parted from them. Uh, so how do they um, still go ahead and you know, have relations with these things, you know, how is it they still, you know, engage in loving relationships? Well, um, it's simply the case that they put off worrying about the fact that uh, these relationships are going to be transitory, you know. Um, death is seen as something uh, that's uh, so distant um, so far away that it's simply not the sort of thing that we need to worry about right here and now. Um, so again, you know, it's just a burying of one's head in the sand. Um, it's just a closing of one's eyes to the inevitable uh, separation that we're going to have from, you know, all the things that we love. And, you know, this is particularly a case for the atheist who, you know, does not believe in um, uh, anything after death. But the harsh reality is that neither the atheist nor any of us can keep our heads in the sand forever, you know, in respect of the transitoriness of all of our worldly beloveds. Um, you know, we can make it inappropriate to talk about death. We can try as much as we like to forget about the fact that uh, either we're going to die or everything's going to leave us before we die. Um, you know, we can do this as much as we like, but eventually we're going to have to confront these issues, you know. Um, so we're in store for a whole lot of pain unless we take action beforehand, you know, unless we sever um, our heart's attachment to transitory beloveds before they leave us, then we're in for a great deal of pain. Um, so it's here that the phrase, O eternal one, you are the eternal one, or O enduring one, you are the enduring one, Ya Baki and Tadabaki you know, uh, repeated, um, uh, you know, uh, uttered twice. Uh, it's here that this phrase um, comes to our aid. You know. So what Bedizaman's imparting in the third flash is that in the first utterance of that phrase, um, what we do is that we remind ourselves, you know, we, in a sense, bring our heads out of the, the out of the sand in respect of the fact that, um, you know, everything's going to leave us, you know, because when we say that you are the eternal one, um, in a very obvious way, what's implicit in that phrase is that, um, you know, since it is only Allah who is um, Baqi, then what follows is that everything else is not Baqi, you know, everything else is not enduring, you know, at least not in the sense that Allah is enduring, you know, not in the not in the very absolute, perfected and very independent sense that Allah is um, Baqi. Uh, you know, only He is Baqi in that way. Everything else is either going to depart or is going to, you know, have to rely upon Allah to sustain it in existence. So what this serves to do is that it aids us to, first of all, 
pull our heads out of the sand in respect of the transitoriness of things and assist us to sever our heart's attachment uh, to them. Okay, so it's very much to acknowledge, as the Quranic uh, verse informs us, that everything will perish save Allah's countenance. So everything's going to depart uh, save what Allah keeps in existence, what Allah chooses to resurrect or whom Allah chooses to resurrect. Um, now, when that phrase is uttered twice, um, in its second utterance, what we in fact do is that we find a solution or a salve for the problem that was diagnosed in its first utterance. So in its first utterance, we uh, you know, recall that everything's transitory. All of our worldly beloveds are going to uh, leave us unless Allah comes to our aid. Um, you know, We acknowledge that only Allah uh, is Baqi. Now, in this second utterance, the fact that Allah is Baqi comes to our aid it acts as a salve for the wounds um, inflicted upon us by the transitoriness of all of our beloveds because if Allah is Baqi then he can manifest beauty to us he can um, be a beloved uh, for us for all of eternity Okay, um, so everything else will perish, everything else will taste death, um, but Allah will endure. Um, so the knowledge of that, you know, in the utterance of that phrase, you know, the affirmation um, of that reality, it uh, acts as the solution to the problem identified in this first utterance. You know. Now, from all of this, we might be wondering at this stage, um, isn't it somewhat problematic to suggest that um, I shouldn't love anyone that is transitory, you know, um, therefore I should only love Allah? Um, isn't it problematic? Because doesn't that mean that um, I cannot love, uh, you know, persons such as, you know, my mother, my father, my children, my wife? Um, you know, indeed, my fellow Muslim brothers and sisters, you know, isn't it problematic you know, in some way, you know, to um, suggest that I shouldn't love these beings? Now, um, what is rather being suggested here is not so much that we can uh, never love any beings apart from Allah in any sense at all. Rather, what's what the issue is here is that, uh, you know, what Bedouzaman's drawing attention to here is that we shouldn't love beings in the wrong sort of way. You know, there's, as I've discussed in the past, you know, right back, I think, in uh, the very first podcast in this series, um, and even more recently, um, you know, we've, hi we've highlighted the fact that um, there's a right and wrong way to love uh, beings in the world. Okay. Um, now, and another way to put all of this is that there's a sincere and an insincere way um, to regard beings, okay, to love beings. Now, uh, I can love someone like my mother um, in two ways, okay. Um, you know, th so th this might be revision for uh, regular listeners of this podcast, but um, uh, for those who aren't uh, familiar with the notion, I'll, I'll quickly run through it again. You know, um, yeah, two ways in which I can love someone like my mother or father or wife, okay. Um, I can love them in and of themselves like so i can love them in the sort of way that you know uh someone who's not god conscious or um you know someone like an atheist loves things in the world to love them in this particular way uh you know is to imagine that all of the characteristics and attributes or qualities that they have um, which are, you know, the causes or the bases upon uh, which I uh, love these persons. Uh, it's to imagine that all of these very much belong to the person, you know. It's to very much um, not consider um, Allah. It's to, you know, uh, yeah, just simply, it's simply to imagine that, you know, whatever they have is due to them. Um, uh, you know, they are the source of their own beauty. Now, if I was to love my mother or father or any person in the world in that particular way, um, you know, if I was to see their qualities as, you know, belonging to them, 
uh, I would be loving them in and of themselves. And that I say is the uh, wrong way um, uh, to love persons. And if I love them in that sort of a way, then ultimately I'm going to have to confront the fact that uh, they're going to depart. Um, I'm going to have to confront the transitoriness um, of that relationship. Um, and I'm going to be in store for a whole lot of pain. Um, however, uh, I needn't love persons in that way. You know, I can love them as Beduzaman puts it through Allah's love. Okay. So, um, what does he mean by this? You know, how do I love someone through Allah's love? Uh, well, it's to love them, uh, in the manner that Allah wants me to love them. Okay. Um, so recalling that, you know, we've been created only for worship, um, uh, you know, and in in the um, testimony of faith, you know, we acknowledge, we affirm that uh, none is worthy of worship uh, apart from Allah. You know, so therefore, we're very much, you know, as believers, um, uh, it's very much incumbent upon us to only love persons in this second way, in this sincere way. You know, and to love them in this way is to do the opposite of uh, what um, the first person. Uh, did. Um, it's to not love them in and of themselves, uh, but rather to see all of their uh, good qualities, all of their attributes, you know, uh, uh, including their very being, you know, um, including their very physical and non-physical um, uh, being, okay? Um, it's to see all of this as being entirely attributable to Allah, okay? Um very much in the same way that we're meant to view our own good qualities. Okay, um, look, just as we would not attribute um, our bodies, um, our organs, our brains, you know, and things of that nature to ourselves, um, you know, of course, we, you know, we we ought to readily um, attribute the creation and um, the sustaining and existence of all of these things to Allah. Well, so too we should attribute to Allah, you know, all of the good qualities that we uh, manifest, okay? Now, um, even though we freely choose to act in these good ways, um, we should still not take ownership of the goodness of um, the, the, the correct choices that we make. You know, as we've discussed uh, recently when we discussed free will, you know, we should acknowledge that um, when we do choose correctly, what we're doing is that um, we are simply following the divine command to do so. Um, and if we manage to choose correctly, then we do so thanks to Allah's guidance. You know, Allah guides us in countless ways to make correct decisions. You know, in the first place, he creates us, um, you know, he sets up the entire scene, you know, in the absence of, um, of a universe, um, you know, and a world, uh, you know, um, and our bodies, you know, and our lives within that world, um, in the absence of all the relationships that we find ourselves in, you know, we simply couldn't make these correct choices in the first place. And furthermore, in the absence of, you know, various sorts of guidance, you know, such as, um, you know, the coming of prophets, peace be upon them, um, you know, saints and scholars and, you know, imams and um, even helpful friends, you know, knowledgeable friends, um, our, our, our families, you know, our parents who, you know, who teach us and so on, um, you know, in the absence of Allah sending to us all of these sorts of things, then we wouldn't be able to make those correct decisions. In the absence of faculties like akal, you know, um, you know, our minds, um, our, our ability to engage in ratiination, uh, in the absence of, uh, in particular, you know, faculties like our, our qalb, our heart, um, our wisdom, our, you know, our conscience and so on. In the absence of all of this, um, we simply wouldn't be able to tell the difference between right and wrong, wouldn't be able to make correct decisions. Um, so Allah's uh, equipping us with all of these uh, things, you know, which are all just various kinds of guidance. They're all um, hidayah in different forms. In the absence of all of that, 
um, you know, we simply wouldn't be able to make any of the correct decisions that we do. So that um, our being able to make those decisions is really attributable to Allah. We should be thankful to Allah that we're able to to um, uh, behave well um, and follow His commands. Uh, you know, um, yeah, our share in our good that we uh, engage in is quite minimal, extremely minimal, and certainly our share in the physical events, you know, again, as we've mentioned recently, you know, our share in the physical events that follow from our making correct decisions, um, you know, let's say, for example, I decide to uh, give someone some charity, you know, some sadaqah, like a $100 note to somebody, uh, the physical event in which that $100 note is passed to that person in need, you know, and then the subsequent physical events in which that person is able to go, let's say, um, and walk to a store and, you know, buy some uh, some goods, buy some food with that and eat that food and then be satiated by it, you know, all those physical and non-physical events are all entirely attributable to Allah. In those, we have uh, absolutely no hand whatsoever. Um, our only role in the matter is just the, you know, quite minor matter of making, you know, uh, a free choice, which is just a mental act, right? So, you know, when we bring all of this to mind, we see that, you know, we cannot attribute um, the good that happens in the world to ourselves. Um, so what follows from that for present purposes is that, you know, the good that we see in others, which we use as the basis for loving them, we've got to attribute that to Allah as well. Okay, um, the beauty manifested by our mothers and fathers and spouses and children and so on, all of this belongs uh, entirely to Allah, you know, and uh, their hand in it is, um, you know, quite minor, quite insignificant. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, in another, again, as I've um, discussed uh, in recent weeks, you know, uh, it's significant in one way, you know, in that it's the basis upon which we're uh, evaluated by Allah. So it's significant in that sense. But for our purposes, um, what we need to take into account is that, you know, uh, if it was not for Allah and his hidayah, uh, you know, those correct decisions um, uh, uh, could not be made so that those beautiful attributes could not be manifested by those persons. And therefore, uh, you know, if we love them, um, really, we ought to love Allah. Okay, uh, the beauty that they manifest is really just a mirroring. It's just a reflecting of Allah's beauty. You know, when someone engages in an act of mercy or kindness or compassion or generosity, um, what we're seeing there is Allah's beauty shining. You know, because we see events in the physical world, um, and those events are nothing other than uh, a manifestation of Allah's beauty, you know, and even when we recognize that, you know, persons have made certain correct decisions in the background, um, of these events, um, even in that it's really Allah's beauty that is shining, you know, uh, because they're simply following the divine command to make those correct decisions. Okay. So when we love persons, we've got to love them in that way only, you know, to, and to love them in that way is really, you know, to love Allah, uh, you know, perhaps in a slightly indirect way, you know, it's to uh, see Allah's beauty, you know, shining in the mirror of uh, the beings that he creates, you know, um, uh, you know, through seeing that, you know, through loving that, um, really we're loving Allah, okay? Now, if we love beings in that correct way, which is, real, again, really just to love Allah, then we needn't be concerned about the transitoriness of um, created beings, you know, um, because if the beauty that created beings are manifesting really belongs to Allah, and Allah is Baqi, you know, as we affirm, um, you know, in the formula, you know, Ya Baqi, Antal Baqi, Ya Baqi, Antal Baqi, um, uh, you know, as we acknowledge in that formula, uh, since Allah is eternal, since he is enduring, um, you know, his beauty shines forever, um, uh, uh, particularly if we love him in the correct way, if we love beings in the right way, um, and uh, we thereby um, gain his raza, he's pleased with us. Um, you know, inshallah, we gain the afterlife um, when we're resurrected. Um, uh, you know, um, 
uh, our position in the afterlife, uh, uh, inshallah, is in Jannah, is in paradise. You know, uh, we don't need to worry here and now about the fact that beings are transitory because, you know, in Jannah, Allah's beauty is going to be manifested to us uh, eternally um, uh, so that we don't need to suffer. Uh, you know, the pain of separation from transitory beings. Um, indeed, if I love Allah in the right way, I can be safe in the knowledge that those beings that I am loving in the right way, those beings that are reflecting Allah's beauty, um, uh, since they are in fact reflecting Allah's beauty, I can look forward to being reunited with them in the afterlife. You know, because if they're reflecting Allah's beauty, then that means that they have followed His command. <clears throat> You know, they've chosen correctly, they've followed his uh, guidance, um, so that inshallah they're going to be uh, resurrected um, uh, in, uh, you know, they're going to end up in uh, Jannah as opposed to Jahannam, uh, so that I'm going to be reunited with them. Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, since they're believers, you know, ultimately I'm going to be reuni reunited with them in Jannah, uh, so that there's no basis anymore for. Uh, um, the pain of um, separation from them. You know, uh, ultimately, I'm going to be reunited with, be reunited with them. Uh, I can be safe in that knowledge. You know, um, but again, that is only if we love them in the, in the uh, correct way. If we, you know, don't see Allah's hand uh, in the beauty that beings manifest. Um, if we think that their beauty belongs solely to them, then well, we're in store for a whole lot of pain, you know. So in general, that's um, what's uh, being imparted by Badizaman in the third flash. Um, uh, thank you to everyone who's been able to uh, tune in for this session. Please do join us again uh, around this time next week. Jazakullah uh, and Salaamu Alaikum. Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'alimtana innaka anta al-alimun hakeem ala rasulina salawat Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad lillah al-Fatiha Thanks again and salam alaykum